Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Nishant Trivasta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to episode four for season 11. Now, this episode was recorded on Friday, the 8th of January, 2021. Hooray for 2020 being over. And it is for release on the 20th of January, 2021. This episode is sponsored by the language Kotlin and by the numbers 7 and 13. I'm Drew Freeman with my interrogativistically curious co-host, Nishant Shravasta. Thanks, Drew. In this episode, we are going to meet another engineer from the book Living by the Code and talk with Moin Nuluwa Adiyami, who is an Android engineer at Twitter and also a GDE for Android. Moin Nuluwa. Welcome to the show. May I call you Moyen? Yeah, that's fine. Thanks for having me. It is it is a pleasure to have you. We've we've been having a lot of fun this season with some of the uh, engineers who took time to uh, to do interviews for the the book Living by the Code, and uh, I, I enjoyed a lot of what you had to say. And I would love to just pick your mind about some of these things, and and some of your experiences. Now, obviously, a good place to start right now is that we're all locked down because COVID continues. And that has basically turned us all into remote developers. And you had a lot to say about remote development. But um, first, let me ask, are you sheltering okay? Are you all healthy and and, and okay and comfortable? Yeah, I am, given the circumstances. Um, this is the third national lockdown I've been in since I've got into this country. So um, it's going pretty well. And I'm thankful that I had my previous experience to draw on. Now you are you're in London. Yes, I am. Okay, so uh, I they use the tier system there. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so initially we had tier three, and then we moved to tier two, and then in November we moved back to tier four, and after Christmas tier five. Oh my! Because I had heard that tier five was just for Scotland. <laughs> But uh, but now tier five is down in in the UK in London proper. That's yeah, the whole country. So, so obviously you have done a lot of remote development. So being a remote developer now isn't a lot of a change, except you probably don't get out as much to uh to balance things. What what is remote to to you? What are some of the advantages of remote development? The first thing I love is um how much space you get to determine what your workday looks like. Um, You get all the free time from not commuting, and then you can decide to focus that instead on exercise or cooking healthy or spending time with your kids. And then depending on how your team is set up and depending on how many hours you're supposed to work, you can actually decide and structure your day around your own lifestyle. So if you have kids, for example, you can say, get up early to work by six and then take some one hour break to get your kids to school, come back, continue working, and then maybe take the evening off to play with them and then continue working when they've gone to sleep. Sometimes it might not work that way for everyone, but depending on what your personal circumstances are, you can structure work around your life instead of structuring your life around work. Um, I know that for me, for some of my lunch breaks, I've used the, I've used that one hour to go for a quick run, and then come back to continue working. I, I see that you you do love to run. Has I take it you're not running as much with COVID, or is or are you still able to get out and run? 
I'm running more <laughs> with coffee <laughs> <laughs> because there's nothing else to do, right? You can't go work from a coffee shop. You can't go see a show or a movie. You can't hang out with your friends. So the only thing left to do is to run. Do you tend to vary your remote workspace? Do you work sometimes from, from home, sometimes from a cafe? So before I moved to London, I used to do that. Um, I used to work from Lagos, Nigeria. And sometimes I could go to a cafe or even go to a friend's office just to get a change of environment. Um, I've worked in very odd places. I've been at conferences, even sometimes from another country. So I was in New York for one month last year because I had to be there. And so I used that time to work instead. You wound up in London and you came there from Lagos, was it? Yeah, Lagos, Nigeria. Um, what was the change like? Um, so it wasn't really a dramatic change um so before london i've never been to london this is my first time in london and i had i had to move in the middle of a pandemic but before london i've been a visitor in the u.s for quite a number of times so i understand how this kind of societies work and all i had to do was map my knowledge of what i knew to how life is here so i know that there are metros in the u.s and then there's the underground here and just figuring out how things work there and trying to <laughs> replicate the same thing here. Um, but I won't really say I have full knowledge of how everything works because most of the things are shut down because of the pandemic. I arrived two days before the first lockdown. So, um, yeah, and nothing has really opened up again. So I'm not sure I can say that I fully know how the system here works. But... It hasn't been too difficult plugging into it. Um, I just needed to identify where I could get food, where I could run, um, and how to move around when I need to. And so far, that has helped me. Um, the interesting thing, one interesting thing is here is that I've not used cash for anything since I got here because all I have is my Monzo app and my phone, and I use that everywhere. I've not needed to use cash. Um, another shocking thing is the sunset at 3, 4 p.m. in winter. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're, you're much, further, <laughs> much further north than you would be otherwise. Yeah, um, that is very strange because my body just shuts down <laughs> when it turns dark. So I have trouble continuing work when I look outside and it's dark and my body's telling me that I'm supposed to be sleeping. <laughs> you need to sleep as soon as it gets dark, right? <laughs> Yeah. Because you transitioned from Lagos to, to London, um, well, what this yeah. process, like, how did you, like, found out the job uh, and do the relocation or something? Because there are definitely uh, listeners who would be from, say, uh, Lagos region or Africa region in general. And what would should be their approach to looking for jobs like outside um outside uh, Africa, for example. Okay. Um, so my current job was a very unique scenario. So um, I don't think any advice there would help anyone, but I'll just go the general route that most people take. So usually there are all sorts of job postings and opportunities on LinkedIn, jobs, Stack Overflow jobs, um, a couple on Glassdoor, and then referral, which for me has always worked. So um, all my jobs I've gotten from after university up until now have been through referrals. I don't think I've applied 
I've not walked anywhere where I had to apply. It's based on people who know me, who know people, who know people. And that's mostly because of all my community work. Um, I attend a lot of conferences. I speak at a lot of events, meet people, network, organize. Before I left Nigeria, I used to organize a Google developer group there. So all of that helped me, even though I was doing everything for free, it helped me build a, such a great network of people that usually when I need to get jobs, I just need to know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone where there's a vacancy. That's, that's the best to have, like uh, having community integration and like networking with these people. Um, I think personally, myself, I've also experienced the same. I've seen uh, different ways of like getting jobs. But the one that actually works yeah. most of the time is that if you know someone who knows someone, this reference thing is yeah. is, a, is a charm. I think it's a, it's very unique in the tech industry itself. Um, and hopefully, I think other people, those who are trying to get into tech right now, they should also invest into that. Yeah. Now, you've said you've done community work. You've done uh, speaking. Uh, have you done any open source as well? Um, not a lot, but yes. Uh, I remember contributing to Mozilla's Android app two years ago or last year. <laughs> Time is a blur, but not a lot. I only carry that over <laughs> from our last episode with Martin, who was talking about the different ways that he built up his community and background, uh, predominantly through open source. Um, but uh, some of the, the work you've done, I, I'd love to hear some of the, some more about the community work that you've done that, that helped grow this network. So I studied computer science at a university in Nigeria. And there we had a really active student body. And we had, we had a Google developer group there in my uni, which was run by students. And we were all young and hungry and eager to learn <laughs> and jump on all the new technology. So um, I became the co-organizer for the Google developer group there. And um, I founded the first women technicals group in Nigeria in my university. That was in 2013. And... Um, it was pro bono, but I just loved you know, learning about stuff. At the time, I wasn't sure what area of tech I wanted to focus on, but I was just intrigued by all the possibilities that was available through mobile and the web, and I just stuck at it. And after about two years, I decided to focus solely on Android. And then um, after school, I moved to Lagos because university was not in Lagos. I moved to Lagos and then joined the Google Developer Group in Lagos as a co-organizer and did that for another four-ish years. So um, I've been managing communities for about seven years. And in that time, I started from not knowing a lot to knowing enough to give talks, both locally and internationally. Um, I've spoken at DreadCon New York. My first DreadCon New York conference, I gave two talks. <laughs> which was which was a lot. Um, and then I spoke at DreadCon Boston last year. I've also spoken at a number of DreadCons in Kenya and um I spoke at DreadCon um South Africa last last year, um in October last year. So I've been doing a lot of speaking. So instead of making open source contributions, I went to the path of speaking and organizing and that's how i've been able to build uh, my community background one particular uh 
thing that I noticed and I was going through your Twitter uh, account trying to find some stuff and I found out that you did some sort of like a mentorship uh, session uh, in October 2020. Yeah. How was that? Like, can you give us like a rundown around what you did and exactly how it was? Yeah. Um, so actually that started as um, a result of the NSAS protest in Nigeria. Um, I'm not sure if any of you know about that. So I was away from home here in London feeling like I wanted to contribute, but I couldn't be physically in Nigeria. So I just thought about how else I could you know, contribute back without still being on ground. And I saw, I went on Twitter one day and saw that someone else was offering mentorship sessions for people who are UX designers. And I just thought, there's no one doing this for Android. Why not pick it up? So I spoke with four of my friends from other companies and they also thought it was a good idea. So we put out a form just to see if, you know, you know, sometimes you have an idea that you think is good and then you throw it out and it turns out that it doesn't hold water. So we put out a form and I was like, okay, let's even see if we have people who would be interested in this thing. And we got 91 people who signed up within 24 hours. I had to close the form because um, I didn't want to overcommit. I was scared of how many more people would sign up if I left it open. Um, so we had the first session on a Sunday. We spoke with two people. And then I thought it would be good to round up the whole thing within last year. I didn't want to carry it over this year. So I went back on Twitter after about three weekends to ask for help and just put a tweet out that if any senior developer from around the world is interested in mentoring Nigerian developers, then they should reach out to me. A couple of people were scared because they were not sure that they will have content relevant to Nigerians. But I just made them know that, you know, once you're a senior, you've gotten a job, you've gone through an interview process, you're in the team, you're working with people, you're collaborating, then your advice will be invaluable. So I got, we had people from all over the world, Sweden, Jamaica, South Africa, UK, even people from work who volunteered to, you know, join the process. And it's interesting that at the same time, the iOS version of this was also going on. And this was based on people who saw my tweet and decided to start the iOS version. And we successfully spoke with 91 people, concluded in the third week of December last year. So I have to ask, you talked about interviews. And I know that when it comes to interviews, you are one of the people who, who feels strongly about whiteboard coding, uh, strongly as in not, not exactly thrilled with it um let's let's start with why why because i'm not a fan of them either what 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 is your reasoning for not liking whiteboard coding interviews um so it's this is a completely personal reason that's fine um, we're allowed <laughs> i really find that i freeze up <laughs> during the sessions i have no idea why um my first couple of experiences were not too good. So I think there's just that dread that follows me about whenever I need to do whiteboard coding. But it's a personal reason. People, some people love it. No, I, I, I fully agree because it's, it's, to me, it's not realistic. It's not the way that coding works. You're not suddenly in a room with five people waiting for you to write code. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a very high pressure situation. You're under enough pressure for the interview itself. 
and now they're asking you to basically stand up and dance. And uh, it, it's a very difficult thing. Um, but the industry is actually moving. Uh, the industry is finally getting an idea that, that whiteboard coding isn't necessarily the best thing. Do you think that the industry is moving in the right direction for, for better interviews? Um, this is a tricky one because one size does not fit all. Um, That's good. I've heard That's arguments. I've heard, I've heard arguments to for whiteboard interviews and against whiteboard interviews. Um, one of my friends mentioned that, say, for um, the Android process, an alternative would be take-home assignments. And he's a dad. He's busy. He has to go to work and then come back and play with his family. And he doesn't have time to, say, work on like five different companies' projects if he's interviewing with five different companies. And he would rather just hop on a one-hour call and know that once he's done with that, that's the end. That so makes sense. There's a point, yeah, so there's a point there, but I think it depends on the individual. Um, <laughs> it might be good to have options and be able to offer people like to choose if they want to. That might be a good one. But I know that not resources are limited and not all companies will have that kind of... Um, would be able to offer that kind of thing. You bring up a very good point because um, I think I've heard this uh, point uh, from someone else also. And also there are people who are also in favor of whiteboard um, coding challenge itself. But what I found is that uh, something that works in kind of both uh, ways is that once um, engineers sit down and they do some sort of like a time box pairing session. And that kind of is like a one hour block session and you just work with the other engineers how you do, you would do in a daily life. But I wish that was the norm. That's not the norm. It's only few companies that are doing this. Um, also, it also has pros and cons. It's not a perfect solution. But yeah, that's like something that I've also seen out there. It's like a third option, I would say. Um, but I would prefer that. Like yeah. I'm personally more in favor of doing uh, pair programming that is time boxed uh, because of the same reason as you mentioned that probably I have five more assignments to do for other interviews and mm -hmm. then I don't have the time for it, right? So that's a very big good point that you yeah. raised up. I I found that some of the some of the whiteboarding interviews I've done I've just felt invigorated by i've i felt great by the experience and i've had other ones where i wish i never had walked in the room so uh I, and and that's i i have my general feeling against it but I, I, it's there and i i i've written both sides of that so yeah um actually at my last company i've done peer programming where you know, i opened the source code and then we had a new feature that we wanted to add, a very small feature, and I just talked through the code and walked the participant through and just tried to get their suggestions on how to do things and just ask questions. And it was a very enlightening session. Nice. Now, you actually, you have your degree in computer science. Yes. And one of the things that I'm leading up to is that you really talk about not so much the studying for the degree or the burrowing into Android, but the process of learning how to learn. Yeah, so um, for me, school was, 
I mean, all that information was useful than just to have a general idea of how things work. But school for me was learning how to learn, learning how to balance things because I did a lot of extracurricular activities. And for some strange reason, I found that people who juggled many things were the people who were usually successful in class, which is strange, but actually makes sense when you think about your needing to prioritize work and, you know, taking advantage of every little time that you have. Um, it also helped me with exposure because, you know, in school, doing all the organizing work, I was already collaborating with people outside of school, with um, asking for funds, getting speakers, writing emails, reaching out to people to come travel from Lagos to come speak, even just interacting with my colleagues and getting them to attend programs. So. All of those skills I wouldn't have learned if I had just focused on my regular academic work. But uh, considering the current landscape, like we also have all these different um, courses, online courses, like considering we are also in the pandemic, this is a normal thing now. Yeah. You have these online courses and you have like also certifications that are also available. Uh, would you say that people who are actually dropping out of college and then doing these specific courses, maybe which are very specialized courses, uh, should be the go-to thing for them? Or would you prefer that, or rather suggest, I should say, that people do their basics first and then move on to uh, specialized courses? Um, so it also depends. There's not one answer to this. Um, in some cases, having a degree can just be an indication that you can see something through to completion, not necessarily because of the knowledge. And I know that at least for the kind of school I attended, a degree was not enough to teach me everything I needed to know. I knew that I had to back it up with all these extra courses. Um, there's also the case where, you know, even where you have to relocate and then you need to show your degree to some sort of official and not even at work. So, um, I would recommend you completing your degree if you can. But if you're in a place of privilege where you never need to have your certificate, then maybe just <laughs> don't waste time and, you know, go directly to the online courses. But for me, the certificate is much more than just the knowledge you get of it. I always hang my head there because I... I left without a degree 30 some odd years ago and and have I went through the period of time where interviews asked me well what about your degree and I had to basically say I didn't have one but continued to build on a, a resume of, of past experiences to the point where it's become less of a question now but I I, I always look back and go should I, I am I too late to continue it now it's it's been so long. Well, I'm talking from the perspective of an African who you know, lives the continent and moves. Um, for some of this thing, for migration or even settlement and stuff, the government actually wants to see your certificate. So you need to have something. And then it's even tricky because sometimes if you have a degree in, and then you're working in a different section, you need to go get a master's. So for People like that, it's kind of tricky and you actually need a certificate. But in terms of the knowledge, um, 
At my last place, I don't remember asking to see anybody's certificate. All I wanted to see was what they knew. And in those cases, then the online courses will come in very handy. So, Moin, you also talked about that uh, currently you are like everyone is working from home and and kind of like we are stuck at home, right? We don't we didn't do this by choice. Yeah. But like, uh, what what do you think is a, is an ideal workplace for you? Like, do you prefer working like it is right now, or would you prefer like going back to to the offices maybe or co-working spaces? What, what's your vision? considering that we are maybe somewhere, somewhat near to, to getting that point? For me, I think a mix would be good. So um, as a new person on a new team, I think that it helps to build FaceTime, real FaceTime with people you're working with. And so maybe even if you're working remotely, then there should be some opportunity, maybe once in two months to, for everyone to meet physically. I know that a lot of teams will have remote offsites maybe once a year during when the world was still normal, but <laughs> even that cannot happen now. And then um, this period is really tricky because you are living at work. You are not working from home. <laughs> it's work. tricky because you are living at work. And for me now, um, in Lagos, I used to have a separate room. But right now, my desk is just beside the fridge, and we all know how that ends. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a very good spot. I think it's a very good spot. While you're walking. <laughs> I would prefer that. <laughs> no, I, I'm, yeah. I'm a floor away, and, and the fridge is nowhere near me. I have to go walk for it. <laughs> It's it's safer that way. I I I I I I I'm too slothful as it is. I want my snacks next to me. <laughs> it's like always eating. Yeah. It's like on calls also. Yeah. <laughs> you said you're also a runner, so obviously, you you've got a, a healthier look on 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 things like that, and the the running you tied into your views of imposter syndrome, and I'm I'm curious a little more on how you use running to help you through the concepts of imposter syndrome. So there are different kinds of runners. We have the Iliad Kipchoge category who run um, a marathon in two hours. And they have the Moi Adeyemi category who runs the marathon in five hours, 30 minutes. Um, so <laughs> depending on what end of the spectrum you are, uh, if you're a slow runner, you can get intimidated by other people and just think, um, since I'm not fast, then this is not for me. But it doesn't work like that for me. So far, you lace up your shoes and go out and put one step in front of the other. Yeah, you're a runner. <laughs> it doesn't matter what your time is. But initially, I didn't used to think like that because I saw a lot of people who were running fast and you know, I was just wondering why I wasn't like them. And then it just hit me that... I must have been applying the same thing to work. So I do this weird thing where if I do something, no matter how difficult it is, I just assume that it's easy for everyone. And you know, I had to take a step back and you know, um, allow myself understand that some like I'm good enough <laughs> in whatever category I'm doing, whether it's tech and you know, whether it's running. And just coming to come to terms with that has worked for me. Nice. And because uh, we're also talking about imposter syndrome, I was looking at through your blog, 
uh, and I see that you have written, uh, I think, a two-part series on leveling up as an Android dev, as well as given multiple talks on this. Did this like flow yeah. into this because of the initial imposter syndrome, and then you found yourself like, okay, I'm gonna do running, and then you kind of like got the hang of things. And then you started leveling up as an Android dev, and then later on, I think you just like basically started going to these conferences and everything. Like, how did that kind of go through? I started trying to level up and started running at the same time. They're not quite related, but maybe now that you mention it, they are. Um, so after school in 2015, I got my first job. And um, at the time, I didn't have a strong Twitter presence. No one knew me outside of the Nigerian community or even outside my school community. I just moved to Lagos. No one even knew me in Lagos. And I just thought, um, okay, so the, the Udacity course I took exposed me to you know, all of these new things. So I just thought, how can I build on that? And how do I, where do we go from here? How do I continue to learn about the updated things in Android? So I, um, after I attended Google IA in 2015, I met a couple of developers. I met Tricky, I met... Um, I remember their name. So I met a number of people and then I kept in touch online. So um, some of them mentioned that like, from what I saw online, that you should, the best way to um, learn something is to share it. And because I was very eager to learn at the time, you know, during the Udacity course, I learned how to build watch, build apps for Android Wear. So I wrote about that, shared it on Twitter. It turns out that a number of people were interested in that. And then that was my, that was how I got introduced into you know, writing articles. My first set of articles on Medium actually were on watch faces. I shared that. And then it turns out people started associating me with watch faces, which was strange. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. And then I moved on from that into other parts of Android and just kept doing that, writing, sharing. And that's how, you know, I've been able to build a community around me and to get known outside of the Lagos ecosystem. Wonderful. And you leveled up as an Android developer. Still leveling up. Still leveling up. Totally get <laughs> Can anyone ever get there? More levels. Lots of levels. I wish we had time to cover everything in this episode, but unfortunately we're curtailed for time. We will put the full episode and the full interview with, of course, certain choice things edited out on YouTube in about a few weeks. Moyen, I, I really want to thank you for your time and for joining us on this episode. We've learned so much and it is such a, an honor to have had you join us. Thanks for having me. It was an honor to be here. I had fun chatting with Utopi. <laughs> If you want to find Moyen online, she's her personal website is moyenolua.dev. If I am correct, that's M-O-Y-I-N-O-L-U-W-A.dev. Your Twitter is Moyheen, M-O-Y-H-E-E-N. <laughs> and I guess I've mispronounced that entirely. No, um, that's just a play on Moyen. So it on doesn't Moyen. actually mean on Moyen. Um, and at the time when I was joining social media, Moyin was taken and was like, okay, let me try this. And it was available. So I just used it everywhere. So it's, yeah, it's Moyin. 
Um, Nishant can be found on Twitter at Nisrules, N-I-S-R-U-L-Z. I am Podcast Drew. On our next episode, we have Joe Birch from the book Living by the Code. And after that, two weeks later, we have Ty Smith coming on the show. If you have any questions for Ty, because we'll have recorded Joe Birch's episode by the time you hear this episode, uh, please write us at podcast at raywenderlich.com. Again, I want to thank Nishant and Moyen for being on the show this episode, and we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, we go back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.